Good morning. My name is Jerusalem Greer, and I am a Christmas addict and a liturgical nerd, which means I love this season. I even love the complicated bits. I love the decorations and the lights and the music and the smells and the gift-giving and the crafting. And did I mention the music? From the day after Thanksgiving until pretty much Epiphany, maybe even Candlemas if I push it, I only listen to Christmas music. Happy Christmas music, sad Christmas music, sacred Christmas music, retro Christmas music, cheesy Christmas music. I love most of it. Most of it. There's one song, though, that really gets in my crawl, as we say in Arkansas. Can you guess what it is? I actually like Mariah Carey. I said cheesy, right? No, the song that I don't love, and I'm sorry if this is your favorite. We all have things that are unexplainable. Um, I don't love Mary, did you know? Because guess what? Spoiler alert. Mary knew. (laughs) According to the Gospel of Luke and to the words of Mary herself, the answer is yes. Mary did know. She knew so much that the creators of the lectionary put it in today's service twice. That's how deeply she knew. She knew things about Jesus and God's love that even today, we are so struggling to comprehend and live into that we can't even see it. And we write songs about Mary, did you know? Over the past few weeks, if you've been around St. Peter's or really any church that follows the lectionary, you will notice that we've been traveling through the Gospel of Luke. And because we're in what's called year C, of the lectionary calendar, we're going to keep bouncing around Luke over the next 12 months. One of the interesting things about this gospel to kind of keep in our minds as we go through the next year is that in this third book of the New Testament, Luke says very little about Jesus and salvation as it relates to heaven and hell. In fact, Luke doesn't seem particularly concerned about the effects of Jesus' death and resurrection on the afterlife at all. Instead, he shows us a Jesus who provides salvation to people in the present moment, what I call the here and now salvation, as opposed to some unknown post-death future. In the gospel according to Luke, Jesus is born a savior. He doesn't become a savior at the end. He is a savior from the beginning. And he saves people throughout his life, not just after that glorious resurrection. So what exactly did this here and now salvation look like for the people of Luke's gospel? Well, it looked like liberation And it looked like freedom. As we go through Luke in the coming months, pay attention and you will find Jesus liberating people from despair, from the death of certain choices, attitudes, and behaviors, from selfishness, self-centered living, from loneliness, from self-hatred, from shame. 
You will find him saving folks from placing their hope in all the wrong things, from beliefs that oppress and practices that discriminate and exploit. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is a Savior who wants to free people in the present from certain things in order that they might experience the life that God intends for them while they are living on this earth. A life of flourishing and love, a life of wholeness, a life filled to the brim with things like reflection, repentance, restoration, and renewal. Earlier in the service, we heard the Song of Mary, and Wolf did a beautiful job um, chanting it for us. This song proclaims that very flourishing. It proclaims a great liberation of humanity from human-made chains of oppression and greed. It is a song actually about toppling empires, and it is a song inspired by the very presence of Christ in our bodies, in our present-day world. In fact, by Luke's definition of salvation, Mary might actually be the very first convert. But this liberation, this salvation, it didn't just happen to Mary. Through her words, we hear her choosing to accept this gift of liberation from God, and then to live a life that's informed by that gift, joining God in the work of toppling injustice and bringing salvation for all. As I studied and pondered in preparation for this week's sermon, I struggled to find a connection between this week's reading and the chosen theme of renewal. It's a great theme. I just had a hard time connecting the dots. I kept looking for signs of renewal in the readings, but what continued to come to my mind was the phrase renewal of baptism in the words of our baptismal covenant. Now, I was baptized at the age of nine on Halloween by my father in a Southern Baptist church pastored by my grandfather. After that Sunday night, when I was dunked in the water and we said a few words, we never revisited my baptism again. Halloween went back to being Halloween, and I just went back to the work of trying to be a good Christian kid. In my mind, I had checked the box on my Christian list of duties that said public profession of faith, and that was that. Until I became an Episcopalian. In the Episcopal Church, we do not ask people to be rebaptized because we believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. But thankfully, we do give everyone the opportunity to reaffirm their baptism and renew their baptism and reflect and be restored to what it means to live the way of Jesus every day. You see, we, the way we understand the sacrament of baptism offers more than a one-and-done public display of faith. It actually offers us a path to live out our present salvation, that whole new life in Christ idea that Luke is so fond of showing us. So let's look at it for a minute. Let's have a little group activity. Go ahead and pull out the prayer book, the red book, from the back of the pew in front of you and turn to page 302. And if you're online, you can go to bcponline.org and find the link to Holy Baptism and scroll to 302. Okay, I can't do this from up here. i got to come down. All right. Everybody got your book? Raise your hand. Got your book? Woo! All right, here we go. 
So, on page 302 is kind of where the participation part of our baptism service starts with. Before we make kind of the warm, fuzzy promises we'll get to in a little bit, we have to actually give up and renounce some things. So let's, I want you guys to help me out. Just shout them out. What are some of the things that we have to renounce? Satan? Cool. Evil powers, wickedness, greed, sinful desires. What do those sinful desires do? Draw us from the love of God, right? The evil powers, what do they do? Corrupt and destroy. Yeah. Now, I know some of this language makes some of us nervous. I mean, how often do we really talk about Satan around here? It's okay. We can be honest, right? But let's look at it through the lens of Mary's words. You know what this actually sounds like to me? It sounds a lot like renouncing things like greed and power and corruption and pettiness, right? Mary renounces a lot of things in her song. So what are some of the things that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God right now? Yes, Charlotte. What is it? What destroys? Greed, yeah. Pollution, right? Creatures of God aren't just us. There's lots of creatures of God. What are some of the things that draw us from the love of God? Not because it makes God pull away from us, right? But think about your own life. What are the things that make us want to run and hide from God, that bring us shame? What are the things that keep us bound up in fear, cynicism, and judgment? Are those not evil powers, right? Are those not sinful desires, Anything that separates us from God, that keeps us in shame and bondage of that, that's what we're talking about. Those are the things we're being asked to renounce. And don't we want to be saved from those things right now? I know I do. Okay. So after we do the hard bit of renouncing, we get to make some cool promises. We get to turn. And again, some of this language can make some of us nervous. What do we have to do next? We turn to Jesus. I like to show my Baptist mother this part. I turn towards Jesus. And what do we do when we turn towards Jesus? Put our trust in grace and his love. We decide to follow and obey. I actually think, thinking about Mary that this sounds a whole lot like a soul magnifying the Lord, right? Turning and deciding to trust and follow the greatest love of all, I think that actually sounds like a spirit that rejoices and trusts in God today. What does it look like in our lives? Think about some times when you have made that turn. How are you changed by God's love? And what does it look like to follow someone who's for you, not against you? Someone who wants us to flourish and be alive now, not dead. 
right? Not bitter, not in bondage to shame or cynicism, but alive. Okay, for the sake of time, let's skip over to page 304 and go about halfway down. I'll let Peggy and Greg handle that other part when they go through the Book of Common Prayer later this year. All right, now before we get to this part, let me say I love a good to-do list. I'm always asking my colleagues and my spiritual director, but what are we going to do, right? And this next part of the baptismal covenant, it's a great to-do list, but it's not just a to-do list. It's actually a proclamation and a covenant. It's a covenant we make with God, between each other, and with ourselves, All right, so again, I need your help because you don't want to just listen to me talk. What are some of the things that we promise to do with God's help? Come on, speak up. Thank you. We're going to continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Next, we're going to continue to resist evil. We fall into sin. What are we going to do? Repent. All right, what's the next one? Proclaim. What are we going to proclaim? Jeannie is getting a gold star over here. (laughs) She is on it for us. All right, we're going to proclaim the good news of God in Christ. Okay, next, we're going to seek and serve. We're going to serve Christ in all persons. All persons. Let's say all persons. All persons. Yes, the person who took your parking spot. That person, too. All right. Next, we're going to strive for, again, among, so hard, and respect the dignity of, yeah. What an amazing covenant. To me, this sounds a whole lot like filling the hungry with good things, lifting up the lowly, showing mercy on generation after generation. So this is why we did this little group experiment. In less than a week, we're going to celebrate the birth of a Savior, not a would-be eventually Savior, but an immediate and already liberator. And I wonder what it would be like if we went into Christmas with an awareness that that tiny, divine, complicated baby human came to save us, you, and me, and the person sitting next to you, now. Not for someday, but for today. What if the same salvation, that present here and now salvation, that Jesus ordered, offered to the people in Luke's gospel is also meant for us? One translation of Mary's Magnificat starts this way. My soul lifts up the Lord. My spirit celebrates God, my liberator. For though I am God's humble servant, God has noticed me. Before Mary moves into addressing God's relationship with all of humanity, she renews her own relationship with God, just as we do at the beginning of our baptismal promises. Pastor and author Nadia Boltz-Weber says this, maybe the really, 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 okay, I added all the reallys, but maybe the really outrageous act of faith on Mary's part was trusting that she had found favor with God. Do we trust that we have found favor with God? The Song of Mary is often called the Magnificat, 
And this name comes from the incipit of the Latin version of the text. Okay, what's an incipit? You know, in our hymnals, how on the back they're listed by just the first line? Okay, that's what an incipit is. It means it begins in Latin. What if the words of our baptismal covenant are not just a rote ritual we reenact a few times a year, but what if they are how we are to begin every day, every moment, every season, every decision we make? And what if we begin, like Mary, renewing our awareness first that we are deeply, truly loved and allowing ourselves to be saved by that love. What if the baptismal covenant is our song of liberation? What if we spoke these words as Mary sang hers, not just as a promise to God, but as a promise to us? What if we receive the baptismal covenant not as a to-do list, but as God's favor and promise and example of love? What would new life look like? What would a life look like in which we were constantly turning from selfishness and fear to love and hope? What would it look like to believe that life has meaning and an awareness and celebration that life is not this long march, a perfunctory task in a dog-eat-dog world, but one that is actually rooted in everlasting love? What if we started each day believing we are beloved, that we belong with the wisdom of Scripture right at our fingertips? with God's bottomless forgiveness swirling around us at all time, with good news that you can share with anyone, with a passion for justice and peace and the ability to honor the dignity of all people. We know that that's hard, right? We have access to the ability to honor the dignity of all people at any time. What a change that would be for the world. And we have God's help, always. I think we sometimes forget how personal our faith is meant to be, how down to a person it matters for our lives and the world that we believe in the love of God for ourselves and that we choose a life of liberation. It matters that, like Mary, we sing a song of salvation and freedom. Maybe it is actually the salvation and liberation of individuals that will heal the world. Maybe instead of waiting for God to heal the world, We allow God to heal us, and then we go share that healing. God didn't come to earth as an institution, as much as we love them, our institutions. God didn't come to earth as an institution or a government or a corporation. Came to earth as a person, through another person. He was born to people. He did his ministry with people. He ministered to people, huge people, huge amounts of people, but one-on-one. As far as we know, Jesus never held office, he never ran a company, he never owned property, he never changed laws or policies or paychecks. You know what he changed? Hearts. He changed people. And because of him, more people begin to believe, like Mary, that they had found favor with God. Not in a God-prefers-me kind of way, but favor as in God sees me. God knows me. God loves me. I believe that Mary could sing a song of freedom because she radically believed she was loved, and that was the first chain that was loosened off her. 
I believe that Mary could say yes to God's invitation to help change the world. And I believe it was love that continued to liberate Mary throughout her life. And it was that love that gave us Jesus, that changed the world, that brought us salvation in the here and now. It is that love that we are being asked to say yes to today. It is that love that will empower us to sing our own songs of liberation, not only with our lips, but with our lives. Amen.